I'm glad to see you could all make it in spite of uh, the blizzard this weekend. <laughs> I, I, I couldn't help. As somebody who spent my childhood in places like Colorado and Wyoming and northern Kansas, I, I couldn't help but feel a little sorry for my children yesterday as they collected all of the snow in the entire yard for like two snowballs. Uh, but it is good to see you this morning. We started a new series last week talking about sort of the, the fresh start cycles that we sort of get stuck in, this tendency that we have to sort of procrastinate and wait and put off making good decisions and good changes until we can get a fresh start. We say, oh, oh, there's a, there's a change coming. There's an opportunity up here. I'm going to move. I'm going to get married. I, there's a new year. There's this, that, or the other. And we sort of procrastinate and wait until that fresh start. And then the fresh start comes and we think, okay, now I'm going to make some good changes in my life. And then something happens, whether it's a decision that we make or somebody else makes or something that happens, and it sort of tarnishes our fresh start. And then we feel deflated and defeated, and then we just wait around again for another fresh start to come. And we can all, I think, uh, find ourselves in those types of fresh start situations and cycles, and how we don't need to start over, we need to just simply take the next step. And this morning, I want to talk about some of the unrealistic expectations that we have this tendency to carry into uh, our next steps. So hold on before we get quite there uh, on that slide. But we do, we live in a, in a culture with incredibly high expectations about almost everything, don't we? In fact, I read an article this week talking about the way that even cold medicine is marketed in the United States versus in Britain. Now, this article was a little bit older, but, but it may still be this way. And they were talking about how in the UK and in Britain, when they market a cold medicine and they have like a commercial on TV and, you know, the the person is sick, has a cold, red nose, they're in their pajamas, you know, they don't feel very good. And then they take the cold medicine, and they said in Britain, after they take the cold medicine, you know, maybe, maybe their nose is still red, and maybe they're still in their pajamas, uh, but, but they, they have a little smile on their face, a little bit, you know. But in the United States, when they market that same cold medicine, uh, after they take the cold medicine, not only is the red nose gone, they throw off the pajamas, they put on work clothes, they go to work, they have the best day of their entire life, and they in their day at the bowling alley, right? I mean, that's kind of how we, and they said in, in Britain, there, there's no promise that this is going to make your life better, but in the United States, we'll settle for nothing less, right, than this is life-changing medicine. Why is it that we tend to do that with so many things? We carry these unrealistic expectations into so many new beginnings and fresh starts, and we think once this starts, once this new year comes, once I get married, once I take this new job, once I move to this new house, once I get this new car, when my kids get here, when my kids leave home, whatever it is, we think once this happens, everything is going to be so much different and so much better. I'm going to be a better person. Other people are going to be better. Other people are going to treat me better. And sort of the the downside of those unrealistic expectations is disappointment. Unrealistic expectations almost always lead to disappointment. That's the next slide. 
And so we need to understand that when we have those sort of unrealistic expectations about new beginnings and fresh starts, and again, there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with starting a new year, right? That whether we want to or not, a new year comes. There's nothing wrong with taking a new job. There's nothing wrong sometimes with moving to a new city or getting a new house or placing membership at a new congregation. There's these new beginnings and fresh starts, they, they happen in life. But what we have to realize is that when we have unrealistic expectations about them, about other people, about ourselves, about life, we often face incredible disappointment. But here's part of the good news is that we're not alone in that. We're not alone in having unrealistic expectations, and we're not alone in experiencing disappointment. See, the way that I read the story of Ezra and Nehemiah, Ezra and Nehemiah, two of the books in our Old Testament, originally were one book, and it tells one story of, of the, the Jews that went off into captivity, and you remember when that happened, right? Babylon came in and destroyed Jerusalem and carried off a lot of the Jewish people into exile. Now, I don't, I don't know that I can, I mean, I've read that story my entire life, and that's, that's one of the stories around which the entire Old Testament, in fact, the entire Bible revolves but I can't even really imagine what that would be like. Can you imagine what that would be like? To live in a, in a country, in a nation, in a kingdom in which a foreign power comes in and destroys your kingdom, your nation, your country, and then carries off you or a lot of your countrymen and, and, and occupies and, and takes over your country. I can't even imagine what that would be like. Or to be carried off into a foreign country and to have to live as slaves, as captives, as exiles. But that was the situation that, that the people of Judah found themselves in for generations. And, and then under Cyrus, when Babylon fell to Persia, uh, there was King Cyrus. And Cyrus said, okay, you guys can start going back now. And so a guy named Zerubbabel led a, a bunch of exiles back to Jerusalem, and eventually they rebuilt the temple. And so Ezra and Nehemiah, these books, they start off so hopeful, so filled with expectation. And the, the captives, the exiles going back home, resettling in Judah and in Jerusalem, rebuilding the temple. But even, even before Ezra steps onto the scene, there's already this sort of bittersweet feeling. And if you read these two books as a whole, and you read this story all the way through, you know me, that's the way I like to read. Start at the beginning, read to the end. You'll start to see that there's a, a rhythm to it that builds up your hope and builds up your expectation. And then there's, there's sort of a letdown. There's sort of a disappointment. There's some unmet expectations. And so even when they rebuild the temple and they lay the foundation, there's some people that are like, yes, the temple's coming back. God's coming back to Judah. This is going to be great. And then a lot of people looked at it and say, yeah, but it's a, it's a pitiful little temple. And they wept. But then eventually Ezra steps onto the scene and Ezra is so filled with hope. I mean, you can just almost feel it in, in the words of this book. And Ezra is so filled with hope and he, I think he just knows that he's going to get back from Persia and come back to Jerusalem and everything's going to be great now. It's going to usher in this golden era of Israel's history and everything that the prophet said was going to come true in his generation. And in one hand, he has a letter from the king that says, hey, 
do whatever Ezra the scribe tells you to do. Whatever he tells you to do, whatever the law of God says to do. The king, can you imagine? The king says, do whatever Ezra tells you to do. And in the other hand, he's got the Torah. He's got the law. And he's ready to go back to Jerusalem. And he's ready for everything to be what the prophets said that it could be. And so he goes back filled with hope, filled with expectation, believing, I think, that he's going to usher in this golden era of Jerusalem's history. So look at Ezra chapter 7 and verse 27. Ezra says, Blessed be the Lord, the God of our fathers, who put such a thing as this into the heart of the king. Artaxerxes has said, look, go back, beautify the temple, take whatever you need, spend money, do whatever you need to do. Everybody's going to do what you tell them to do. Blessed be the Lord, the God of our fathers, because he put this into Artaxerxes' heart to beautify the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem and who extended to me his steadfast love before the king and his counselors and before all the king's mighty officers. I took courage for the hand of the Lord my God was on me and I gathered leading men from Israel to go up with me. God's, God's with me. And and I gathered these people and these priests, and we're going to go back, and everything's going to be good. Ezra chapter 8, verses 21 through 23. I proclaimed a fast there at the river Ahava, that we might humble ourselves before our God to seek from him a safe journey for ourselves, our children, and all our goods. For I was ashamed to ask the king for a band of soldiers and horsemen to protect us against the enemy on our way, since we had told the king, the hand of our God is for good on all who seek him, and the power of his wrath is against all who forsake him. So we fasted and implored our God for this, and he listened to our entreaty. We're not even going to take soldiers with us because we so believe that God is with us and will protect us, and he's going to watch over us. So I'm not even going to ask the king for soldiers because God's with us, and we don't even need them. And so we're going to go back, and everything is going to be good. As soon as you get to that point in the story, and Ezra gets to Jerusalem, and we're just kind of reading little snippets, so I encourage you, go home and read the the story of Ezra. As soon as he gets back to Jerusalem, and there's some rejoicing, and then he, he finds out that some of the men come to him and say, some of the men here have married foreign women, and, and the problem in Ezra's mind is, ah, oh, the, these pagan women are going to lead our men's hearts astray and they're going to worship idols just like what happened before, what happened with Solomon, what happened with so many others is going to happen again. And we just got back from exile. We just got back from captivity. We just got back from being punished for our idolatry. And now it looks like to Ezra, everybody's headed down that same road. And I mean, you could just sort of feel the air get let out of the story. I mean, there's just all of this hope and all of this expectation, and then all of a sudden, Ezra's dreams are just dashed just immediately upon returning. Look at Ezra chapter 9 and verse 3. As soon as I heard this, I tore my garment and my cloak, pulled hair from my head and beard. You ever been that upset? I've never been that upset. (laughs) Tore hair from my head and beard and sat appalled. That word, I was curious about that word in the Hebrew, and and a lot of times that that same Hebrew word is used, it's talking about a place, and not a feeling that a person has, but a place. And it, it literally means to be devastated or deserted. And that's exactly how Ezra feels. 
just, oh, did we learn nothing? Are we, are we doomed to just repeat our mistakes again? Is God going to punish us again? And he sits appalled. I have no idea what to do. I'm devastated. It's over. Then all who trembled at the words of the God of Israel because of the faithlessness of the returned exiles gathered around me while I, again, sat appalled until the evening sacrifice. I will talk about what Ezra did in just a second, but I think we need to take just a second and empathize with him, don't you? Have you ever felt this kind of disappointment? You had all kinds of hopes. Maybe before you got married, maybe before you had kids, maybe before you moved to a new home or started a new job or placed membership at a new congregation, whatever it is, and you thought, this is it. This is going to be the change that I needed. This is going to be where everything turns around. This is going to be where everything starts going in the right direction. Everything's going to be good now. I knew this day was going to come, and finally it's come, and so you go into that fresh start and that new beginning and that clean slate, and then you find a mess, a mess that you never expected to be there. Maybe because, again, maybe it's something that you did. Maybe it's something that just happened, or maybe it's something that other people did, decisions that other people made. They let you down. They betrayed you. They thought different or talked different or acted different than you thought they would, but they devastated you, and you were appalled. And all of the air in your expectations and hopes was all deflated. Have you ever felt like this? You thought people were going to be different. In ministry, I can't tell you how many times I've, I've talked with and visited with Christian people who've come into a congregation and they thought, this is going to be better this time. This is going to be good this time. People are going to do what's right this time. And sometimes their disappointment is incredibly justified. Nobody expects to be lied to or betrayed or ignored or hurt, criticized. Nobody expects that kind of thing. And because our expectations sometimes are so incredibly high, the misbehavior of others sometimes is incredibly disappointing. So Ezra and the other leaders, they, they come up with a plan to tell all of the men who had married pagan wives that they had to send their wives and even their children away. And, and then there's a, a long part where they do that and they kind of work through all of the families and it's raining and it's just bad. And then there's this whole list of families that get separated. And Ezra ends this way, chapter 10 and verse 44. All these had married foreign women and some of the women had even born children. And that's it. That's the end of the book. <laughs> kind of depressing, isn't it? And I don't think that, personally, I don't think we should read Ezra as being prescriptive. Like, hey, this is what you should, this is what you should do. It's descriptive. It's, this is what happened. It's a description of what happened. In fact, I think that when you read Ezra and then you continue reading through Nehemiah and you read both the hopes and the expectations and the victories, because there's some victories, there's some new beginnings and fresh starts and some successes, but there's also a whole lot of disappointment. I think that the right way to read Ezra and read Nehemiah is that 
You look at it and you, you empathize with them and you say, I know, I know you thought, you thought this was going to be the end of exile. This was going to be the end of slavery. This was going to be the end of punishment. And it doesn't seem to end. And I think the right way to read these books and read this story is that these books leave us longing for the Messiah. Longing for the Messiah. Longing for the one who really will come and usher in a new era, not just in Israel's history, but in world history. That these books that are so filled with expectation that they think when we get back to Jerusalem, everything is going to be as the prophets promised that it would. Everything is going to be better. Everything is going to be good. Everything is going to be golden. And it wasn't. They leave us longing for the Messiah. And isn't it interesting that when Jesus shows up, he doesn't pull out the hair of his head or his beard. He doesn't make the people bear all of the weight of their own sins. In fact, he takes the mess upon himself and he bears the weight of their sin and he takes it away and he brings healing. So I think there's at least three lessons that we can learn from Ezra's story. Three lessons that we can learn from Ezra. Number one, life is often messier than we expect. Isn't that true? Life is often messier than we expect. You, we don't expect to be ignored or betrayed or lied to or used. We don't expect for people to treat us badly. In fact, we oftentimes don't even expect for ourselves to mess up and to do things wrong, and to break friendships, and to break relationships. But guess what? Sometimes we do. And sometimes life is messier than we expect it to be. And I don't think that Ezra expected life in Jerusalem to be as messy as it was. I don't think he expected to get back and to find such complicated situations. But guess what? Sometimes that's Life, And that brings us to number two. Some messes can't be sorted out by a fresh start. You can't, you can't just wait around for some sort of arbitrary fresh start. You can't just walk out. You can't just move on. You can't just give up and go on to something new sometimes. Because guess what? Sometimes when you give up or walk out or move on and you go to something new, guess what? There's a mess there too. Sometimes there's another mess in the new beginning, in the fresh start. Sometimes a fresh start is good. Sometimes a new beginning is necessary. Sometimes you're going to move. Sometimes you're going to go on. Sometimes there's going to be a new year. But guess what? Sometimes there's a mess in the new beginning as well, which brings us to number three. Some messes can only be sorted out by Jesus. They can only be sorted out by the Messiah. And I don't, I don't mean that in some sort of pat way. It doesn't mean that Jesus is going to suddenly make everything better and okay. It means, one, that discipleship means that we anchor our hope in the fact that the Messiah is bringing and will bring a better world where there is no sin, where there is no death, where all of the mess is cleaned up. Eventually, that someday there will be, as Peter says, a new heavens and new earth where righteousness dwells, where there is no more mess. We believe that, right? And so we believe and we understand that some of this mess in this life 
Some of the mess in the new job. Some of the mess in the new town. Some of the mess in the new marriage. Some of the mess in the new church is just part of living in this age. And that it will only be cleaned up by the Messiah. But we also believe that the Messiah Jesus is reigning now. And we believe that by following him, by us, you and I being the body of Jesus, his hands and his feet, by following him into the messes. And sometimes we bear each other's mess and we wade into the mess and we love each other in the mess and we help each other in the mess and we serve each other in the mess that we can be the body of Jesus in the world, and that Jesus is bringing a, a better a better existence, a better reality right now through us. Not by ignoring the messes, not by assuming there won't be any messes, not by procrastinating and waiting for some sort of new, new year or new beginning so that there won't be a mess, but, but right now wading into it with each other and bearing each other's burdens. So the question we're going to be asking all year this year is what's your next step? What's your next step? Maybe, number one, maybe you need to adjust your expectations to better account for the messiness of life. Maybe you're on the precipice of some new beginning or fresh start. Maybe it's just this new year or, or maybe, maybe you're about to get married, or maybe you're about to start a new job, or maybe you're about to move, or maybe there's some sort of new beginning or fresh start, and you sort of are assuming, you're assuming, in spite of your past experiences, that this one is going to be different, that there's not going to be messiness, and I'm not saying you should be a Debbie Downer, and I'm not saying you should be pessimistic, but, but we, have to, we have to adjust our expectations, don't we? And we have to realize that even with new beginnings and even with fresh starts, people are still going to be people. You know, we're, we're, we're right on the precipice of a, of a fresh start, of a new beginning with our Brighter Together program, right? And hopefully before long, we have a bigger auditorium and we're all worshiping together and our youth have a brand new space that they can worship together. And guess what's going to happen? More people are going to come. And guess what's going to happen with more people? More mess, right? More mess. More problems, more life, and that's okay. We're not going to expect people to come here without mess, without reality, without problems. That's life. And we can't expect that right around the corner, there's going to suddenly be some new start or fresh beginning that's that's going to not have problems. As long as we live in this age, there will be problems. Number two, maybe you need to meditate on the future that awaits us because of Jesus. Sometimes we need to just do that, don't we? And we need to say, you know what? I look forward to the day where death and sin are gone and no more. And I believe that is the future reality. So maybe your next step is to just meditate on that. Because as messy as life can be, it's encouraging to know it won't always be this way. This age of sin and death, it's coming to an end. And the new age, the age to come, where righteousness dwells, is coming. And, and then finally, number three, maybe you need to adopt Jesus' way of stepping into the mess 
and serve people. Just know it's coming. Just know with more people and more friendships and more relationships, there's going to be more mess. And it's okay. We have plenty of mess ourselves. And we're not going to ignore it. We're just going to do what Jesus did and step into it and love people and serve people and help bear their burdens. Be to them what Jesus has been to us. And we could spend our whole life complaining about the mess that people make. We could spend our whole life being disappointed that life is messy. Or we can do what Jesus did. We can roll up our sleeves and we can step into it and bear one another's burdens. And that's what he's done for us, isn't it? He's begun already to clean up our life, to take away our burden of sin and guilt, to bring forgiveness to atone for our sin, to atone for our mistakes, and promising us a future where all of that and all of the consequences of sin and death are gone. That's what we have in Jesus. And because we have that in Jesus, we do that for other people. And we extend to them the same kind of grace and love and service and help that Jesus has been to us. That day for which Ezra and Nehemiah were longing when the Messiah would reign, we live in that reign, church. We live in that reign. Jesus reigns now and will reign for eternity. And some messes only Jesus can clean up. So let's be, let, let's be the people that wait for him, one, yes, and let's be the people that are his hands and his feet and that are serving other people in their mess. And maybe there's somebody here this morning and you haven't taken the step of being baptized into Jesus and letting him begin to clean up your life, to wash you clean, to give you a new beginning and a fresh start, to allow you to be resurrected to a brand new life with this kind of purpose and this kind of hope. And maybe you're ready to take that step and to be baptized into Jesus. Or maybe you just need prayers or need encouragement. Our lives may be messy, but we're in it together. And we want to help you. And we want you to help us as we walk through life together. So if we can help you this morning, would you come forward as we stand and sing?